Welcome back to the Something is Brewing podcast, episode 56. 56. The Eric Halla episode. Shout out. Um, as always, brought to you by the one and only Primetime Productions. You can follow them on Twitter at Primetime Prods to keep yourself updated with all new episodes and articles on all major sports. Um, as always, you can follow the Something's Brewing Twitter account on Twitter. On X at Bruin something. Zeter. No G at the end. You can follow myself on Twitter at underscore Mike Sullivan. And you can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Melanson underscore. Um, season's rolling around right around the corner. Uh, so definitely follow those accounts for for Bruins content all season long. Um, but outside of that, we're talking some line combinations today. We're talking some point predictions today for both the players and the team. And we are talking some X factors throughout the season. And we will also touch on the one DM that we got for the episode today. Yeah. Let me guess who it is. <laughs> E2.0. Always. Always can rely on him. The most loyal supporter. The most loyal. The number one supporter. But um, So shout out to Ethan. But, um, yeah, I mean, let's jump into some line combos. Um, Mel, do you you want to start this off? I've been doing a lot of thinking and a lot of soul searching. <clears throat> and I've been trying to think of who I would like as our 1C. And I know I've said before, I think the first person I wanted as 1C was, was Zaka. But I also wanted Pasta on the second line, and I know, shout out Gail, that she said in the past that she wants to keep Zaka and Pasta together because of that, that Czech chemistry that they have. Um, but frankly, I don't know. I, I think I want Zaka as my 1C. I think he has a higher ceiling in terms of his point production, and I think his game just translates better to, to being a first-line center. Um, and I also think that he has a higher, uh, a higher ceiling in terms of offensive production than that of Charlie Coyle. Um, I know I've been seeing a lot of projections about uh, Zaka this year, and it's a bit over the board. I know he just had a career last year. I think he had what, like career year last year? Sorry, he had what, like fifty-five points or something like that. I know if, um, if he if he gets if he gets first line minutes with his skill set, um, playing opposite, you know, with with Marshawn on one side, and here's my first line: I want Marshawn, Zaka, and Debrusque. If he's playing first line minutes with those two guys on either side. I think he can put up 70 plus points this year. I think he yeah. can hit the 25 goal mark. I mean, 21 goals last year, and I think 50 something points playing third line minutes. Yeah, I know 50, he would. He would. 50, uh, 57. Yeah, I mean, I know he would sprinkle up in the in the top two lines when Krejci went down, and I know if you know Bergeron when he was missing some games, they they had that flexibility where they could use Zaka that role, but. I want him to get significant first line center minutes this year. I want to see him, you know, I want to see him on the first power play unit as well. Yep. And I think it's not, 
out of uh, the realm of possibility for Zaka to to have another career this year. I think he's going to put up 70 points. And that's my first line. I want Marshall on the left wing, obviously. He's been holding down, down, holding down that position now for almost a decade. I want Zaka in the middle, and I want Jake DeBrusque playing right wing. I think that we talked about last episode with Davis. This is another big year for DeBrusque. Last year, we talked about how big the year was because it was it, he had been clamoring for this opportunity to play with first line minutes with that of Bergeron and Marshawn. He finally got his chance last year, and he ran with it. Uh, I think if he was fully healthy, he he almost was a near point per game player. I think he had like 50 and 62 or something like that. Um, but some of those games you have to give him a little credit for because he didn't play for like a month and a half coming back from a broken leg or whatever. Um, but I mean, that's a guy, if he plays a full season last year, he eclipses 30 goals, no problem. Um, he's having a career year. So I'm looking for another year of him to build off of what he had last year, but it's not going to be as easy as he had it last year because obviously he doesn't have Bergeron anymore. He's going to have more of a responsibility putting the pocket back of the net in that first line. But that's my first line, Marshawn Zaka and Jake DeBrusque. And I want to ask, who do you have as your first line? So I'm kind of similar to you, except for one minor difference. I have Marshawn taking that left spot. I have Zaka taking the 1C. And I have Pasa one right wing. Because like like you mentioned, like splitting Zaka and Pasternak up at this point, it's kind of tough to argue. Um, I think that they would get the most offensive production by putting those three on a line together. That being said, it does worry me a little bit about the depth offensively, but if you can, if you have the confidence in DeBrusque to, to maintain his offensive production and his health this upcoming season, then I think that he can provide you with some offense, you know, depth wise, but I want Zaka and Pasta together um, I, I can't see a world where Marshawn isn't playing first line left wing minutes. Um, and if you put Marshawn and Pasta together alongside Zaka, I think that's a recipe for success. I mean, Zaka's coming off a career year. He's, I believe he's 25 years old this year. Um, so he's got room to grow. This is a perfect opportunity for him to take the reins of that first line center spot and really run with it and, and, and prove to everybody that he is that one C that everybody thought he, he was capable, capable of becoming. Now, with that being said, do you want to go to your second line? Sure. Um, I like the argument that you just made, by the way. Um, but my second line, I would have, I would have pasta as my right wing. I would have coil as my center. And I've been going back and forth about who I want on that left wing spot. And I think I want GVR. Mm-hmm. I think I want to see what he can do on that second line wing spot uh, with bigger minutes. Um, because this is a guy, I mean, he, he just had 24 goals two years ago. I mean, last year he missed 20 games. He finished with 12 goals, 29 points. Shit bum season plan for a shit bum team. I mean, I don't really blame him for that. But if you give him second line minutes in this system, you put him on the power play and you park that big ass in front of the net and just let him do his thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was just talking about, you know, Zaka maybe hitting 70 points and be getting 25 goals. I mean, if, if you give JVR second line minutes uh, with Pasta, his opposite wing, I mean, I don't think it's 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 out of the realm of possibility that he can get 20 goals this year. I mean, he's going to have to fight and claw for it. But um, I would like to see him on that second line 
left wing spot. Center, obviously, if it's not Zaka, it's going to be Coyle. I mean, the third, the best third line center in hockey, got just got a promotion. Congrats, you're now on the second line. <laughs> um, but the reason that I want Pasta on that second line right wing spot is is and I've mentioned this before like if if Poss is on the ice you know you're going to have offense I mean the guy just got 61 goals last year you know it 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 doesn't really matter who you put him out there with he's going to get goals and he's going to make plays um and I feel like if you just have a a top heavy first line um with Marshawn Zaka and Pasta I feel like that that that's you really need that line to perform or else you're kind of screwed because I know that you're putting a lot of faith in DeBrusque, but um, I think it's a very real conversation about Jake DeBrusque having a career year last year playing with the linemates that he had. I know Chris Davis talked about it last year and how much of that was Jake DeBrusque and how much of that was the opportunity that he was in. And I do think that Jake DeBrusque is a great player, but I'm still not confident enough that you can bump him down in the second line, put him out there with Coyle and JVR and expect, the brush to go out there and net you 25 goals. I just don't, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. Whereas if you put pasta on that second line, I still think he's going to eclipse 30. I don't think anybody's doubting that. So I just yeah. feel like for the, for the sake of the team to have a more balanced offense, it would make sense to put pasta on your second line uh, and, and the brusque on your first line. And, and I don't know. Cause like, I really like the combination of Zaka and, uh, and pasta as well. But like, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that that Zaka's skill set better suits the first line, and I just feel like your offense will have a better, more balanced attack if you put Poss on the second line. And maybe that means like there's a simple solution: put Coil on the first line and put Zaka on the second line. I guess, but I don't know. I don't like that either. So it's gonna be yeah. weird. <laughs> like I can't imagine Coil as a first line center. I can I can imagine him as a second line center, um, but first line would be kind of nuts. I think, but. The only thing that I've been kind of tussling with is do you want JVR or do you want Frederick to play yeah, second line left wing? That yeah. was my second option of putting Frederick second line left wing. Cause I, I think he can definitely do it. Um, I mean, if he takes another step this year, like he did last year, I mean, you, you have a, a, a perennial top six guy in your hands. I mean, right. if he can eclipse a 20 goal mark, I mean, I want, I want to give him all the opportunities that they can, but do you think he, he would, like long term for Frederick, do you think he'll he would stick at the wing, or do you want to try to ease him into a, a a role as a center for this team? I think with the addition of Geeky, I think that the long term plan, if he sticks with the Bruins, is for him to play wing. Yeah. But with that being said, you saw how well he played with Coyle last year, and if he's tra- trajecting in an upwards, you know, manner why split those two up again, especially when Frederick is still young and he's still developing and he finally got that confidence last year where he had a career year points wise. You could tell he was confident in his game. I don't know. It's tough to argue splitting those two up. And if you got to have a second line of Frederick Coyle and DeBrusque, I don't hate that line. I think JD and Frederick could complement each other really, really well too. Yeah, I definitely think they could as well. But and I want to give you your chance to give your second line. But I, I know in the past we've mentioned putting Lauko Geeky and Frederick on that third line, which I think would be electric. And that third line has a much much different feel if you replace Frederick with JVR, like a a JVR uh, Geeky and uh, Lauko line feels much different than a uh, Frederick Geeky and Lauko line. And I think that was my only reasoning between who to pick on that second line. And also, um, 
I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't want to uh, over because I, I, I don't want to. I feel like Frederick can handle top six minutes. That's not yeah. what I'm. I mean, I'm trying to word it correctly. You it's know, like I, it's like it's tough to it's tough to you know uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It's tough to it's tough to gauge what his production and what his play would be like as a second line winger without ever seeing him be in that position. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I do feel like he has an opportunity, but I just feel like, uh, I don't know. I feel like if you could unlock the JVR that he was a couple years ago and, and like JVR is a goal scorer. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like there would be more value in having an unlocking JVR as a second line winger and having Frederick go crazy on the third line, uh, and compare Cause I feel like JVR is only going to become that guy. Like we don't know who JVR is going to be. Like he's like right. 35 years old now. He sucked last He didn't suck, but he had 12 goals last year. Like this is not the 36 goal score JVR for the Philadelphia Flyers from X amount of years ago. But I feel like the only chance you have of getting that JVR or getting something close to that is if he plays top six minutes. Like if you put JVR third line left wing, you might have a repeat of last year where he struggled to get double digit goals. And like, I, it, it's kind of a double edged sword because in order to, for him to, to, you know, perform like that, he's got to play like that. But if he isn't performing like that, I'm fine with him having a short leash and then just putting Frederick on that second line and putting JVR on the third line. And, and the other thing too, with like, all right, so say Frederick, right? last year was the first year that he kind of, I, I don't want to say popped off, but you it's the first year where you saw what he was capable of offensively, right? But I feel like we still don't really have a grasp on what kind of player he is exactly. Is he a playmaker? Is he a goal scorer? Is he just like a, a, a kind of like nitty gritty grinder? Is he that kind of guy? Like, I feel like we don't really know. Um, and, and with JVR, he's never played with this team before. He's never played with Coyle. He's never played with DeBrusque, Marshawn, Zaka, Pasa, you name it. He's never played with any of these guys. Like you said, he's going to be 35. So mm-hmm. what what is he going to bring to this team? Like, we don't know. Um, so I think for <sighs> – with that being said, I think to start the year – I would like to see Frederick on the second line, but I could easily see it going either way, Frederick or JVR. Um, but it's just the fact that Frederick already knows the system. Frederick knows what it's like to play with Coil, and I'm sure him and JD can mesh together well quickly too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we really don't know what kind of player Trent Frederick is. And just like we were saying about JVR, I mean, the only chance he's going to get to develop into that player is if he gets his opportunity. Um, which is why I could definitely see him getting second line minutes. I mean, I feel like it's a toss up at this point. I'm satisfied with either of the two guys. I think that they bring two different things. Um, and I know uh, last week, I know Brett had a question that he sent in where he had uh, JVR slotted in at the uh, third line left wing. I thought was interesting because I think I feel like for the most part I've been seeing people slot JVR in at, at your second line left wing spot, yeah. um, but that brings me to my third line, which I think is I will give you all the credit for it. It was your idea to put them all together, but uh, Frederick, uh, Geeky, and Lauko I think yeah. would be my third line, and that will be absolutely electric. 
I think that line would be so much fun. There would be bodies flying all over the place. There'd be stretch passes like crazy. They'd be driving hard to the net and they'd be causing mayhem seemingly every single shift. And that's what I was saying before. I feel like if, if you put JVR in that third line instead of uh, uh, Frederick, I feel like that third line has an entirely different feel to it because you can't replicate the uh, tenacity or whatever you want to call it that Trent Frederick brings to a hockey game. Yeah. Um, and I and and my whole system in building these lines is trying to keep a balanced attack throughout. Like I mentioned it with the top line. That's why I wanted to put Potts on the second line. And I I just feel like your 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 third line would still be very good if you had Frederick, Geeky, and Lauko. Yeah. I think uh see, and I don't hate that either. That's why I'm kind of saying like you could flip-flop JVR and Frederick throw the lineup because that Lauko geeky and, and Freddie line could be absolutely insane. <laughs> and especially too, if, if you can get JVR to, you don't, you don't need him to score 60, 70 points per se, but if you can play second line minutes and he's, he ends up with say somewhere between like 45 and 60 points, then job well done. Uh, JVR, you succeeded in Boston. You did what you could and, and, and kudos to you. But, if you see a year similar to last year where, you know, obviously he got older um, and he's struggling to keep up with second line minutes, he's struggling to produce to produce at second line minutes, um, then it would be tough. But I, I think for my third line, I, obviously, because I put Freddie on my second, I would go Lauko, Geeky and JVR. And I'm pretty sure JVR can play right wing. I'm not sure, but. Um, in this instance, he is. So we'll say <laughs> we'll say Lauko, Geeky, JVR, and then him and Frederick can kind of flip flop given, you know, how they're how how the team is looking and how everybody's producing. But I feel like they're interchangeable. We'll see what works. Montgomery will see what works and what's kind of you know flowing within the system. But for now, that's what I would go with. And then my fourth line. I think I'd easy, easy. I think I'd go Lucic, Bokvist, and fuck it, throw Greer. Oh, screw it, screw it. No, <laughs> I think uh, that, that that fourth line is going to be such like um um. It's going to be a cluster. mishmash of players. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask though. Um, Morgan Geeky last year, I mean, 69 games, nine goals, 28 points. He's a guy who who has been pretty vocal about wanting more minutes. Yep. Him as your third line center, what kind of production do you think you could see from him? If if you have either Frederick or JVR on his left and Lauko on his right, I mean, do you think he can eclipse the numbers that he put up last year, albeit they weren't they didn't jump out the board? But yeah. I would say with playing consistently with those guys, I'd say anywhere below 35 points would be a disappointment anything above 40 would be good and then anything above 45 is like beyond expectations but i i would say i would put him just guessing maybe around like 37 38 points right around that region which isn't bad because right. you know last year coil who's your third line center had 45 points and you know i mean yep. And, and Geeky's another guy, too, who he's still getting better every single day. I mean, right. the Bruins have a lot of these guys who are between the ages of 21 and 24 uh, who are either going to have 
you know, big moments this year, like like your Lauko or your Frederick or your Geeky, or they have those guys who are just outside the picture, like your Mark McLaughlin or on defense or Ian Mitchell or that Regula guy that they just picked up. Um, and hopefully, I know I shout out only Bruins too. I know they were talking about it on their newest episode, um, but the Bruins seem to have a lot of these guys. These they're they're not highly rated prospects. They're not blue chip prospects. They won't show up when you look at you know lists of prospects around the league. But as Bruins fans, we're familiar with them. And I think Brett was saying it that like one of these guys has to pop. Like like the like whether it be Frederick, whether it be Lauko, whether it be one of these defensemen uh, like Lori, like one of these guys has to pop because they just have too many of these guys in the system for it not to happen. Um, and I think this year these guys are going to get their opportunity. Even the guys they brought in, like we just mentioned, uh, Morgan Geeky. How old is Boakvist? Like I don't think he's going to be. Uh, you know, a, a game changer, but you know, he's a, he's a sweet. I mean, he could have a, a good play style for the system. Um, but these guys are going to have their opportunities. And for my fourth line, I have Lucic on the left wing. I also have Bokvist at center. And then the right wing is a bit of a hosh posh for me. What were you yeah. going to say? I was just going to say Bokvist is 24. So, yeah, he's, so another, he's, he's another one of those guys that fits into that profile of like 21 to 25. He's another guy. You know who I would like to see play right wing on the fourth line? Who? Alex Chason. That's, you know what? That is a sleeper pick. If he can make, if he can get a contract from the Bruins at this PTO, I would love a line of Lucic, Bokefist, and Chason. And and I think it would be helpful too because uh, first of all, I mean, you would have two. Oh my God! I I googled Chason and Clavon Chason from the Jaguars came up. Um, <laughs> You would have two uh, grizzly veterans on that line and chase on and Lucic, a couple of guys over the age of 30 who have been around the block a couple of times. And then, and that's following your, your third line who has made com- entirely of guys who are 24 or younger trying to make a name for themselves. So I think it would help to balance out your bottom six. Um, I also think that those are two guys at this point in their career who understand their role. They're not going to try to play outside of themselves. Um, and but the Bruins do have options at that fourth line right wing. Um, yeah. like you just said, I mean, AJ Greer is still in the building as of what time is it? <laughs> 7 46 on Tuesday night. Uh, he might be cut tomorrow, we don't know, but he's still in the team. Um, I know Mark McLaughlin is, is you, know, you want him to be more of a center, but he's another guy that you could mention. Um, we also mentioned Chase on, I mean, Patrick, uh, Patrick, Brown. Patrick Brown. I mean, there's another guy. I mean, the Bruins have some options there as what they want to do on their fourth line. Um, and honestly, like I wouldn't mind seeing um, different combinations of fourth line players to see what they can bring because we've mentioned this before. Um, and I want to give credit to uh, I think it was Lauren on All Goals No Misses. Excuse me, brought it up. Oh, but she said that like when you're building these lines, it, it's not so much about like first line, second line, third line, fourth line. The Bruins have the right combination of players where they can really kind of make some interesting combinations where you can have a line that's more, you know, maybe you're playing a hard hitting team and you want to be quicker. You can have a, 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 you know, different line combinations with some of these guys, or maybe you want to have a line that's going to be your shutdown line. You can put X player next to this guy, or maybe you want to get quicker and you can, so you have the flexibility to make those changes and up and down your lineup. Um, which I think, honestly, I want to see Montgomery uh, unveil some of that this year. So Yeah, and you know what? They're, they're 100% right, and I think you're right. I think it was Lauren. I don't think that the Bruins are looking at their team this year as a first line, second line, third line, fourth line, especially not with the first two lines. I think it's going to be situational. Um, I, I think that it's just going to be 
completely dependent on what they're facing in the game. Um, their first and second line are definitely, I don't want to say equal in talent, but they're definitely interchangeable. Um, and it's going to, like like they said, and like we just said too, it's just going to be situational depending on what, what the team needs at the moment. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the first and second line have very similar time on ice, um, you know, logs at the end of the game. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's our, that's our, uh, our, our, our forward group, our lines for the, for the, uh, <clears throat> top four lines defensively first pair. I still have Grizzlick and McAvoy. Yeah. Yeah. I love Same. the two of them together. I got sad when they weren't together last year. Yeah. Um, and, and I know, I, not that I was arguing the trade Grizzlick, but I, I, I truly thought that he was a legitimate trade candidate. And, and yeah. I was, I, I think I, I think I said I would be surprised if he was on this team to start the season just because of his age, his contract, and what he can do. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that he's still here because him and McAvoy together, you can tell that they were that they were teammates in college because their yeah. chemistry is unparalleled. Yeah, I mean, it, going into the offseason, you knew the Bruins were up against the cap, and you were just looking at guys, you know, on the team and the top three guys that everybody thought being Grizzlick, Forbert, and Allmark you know, as top trade candidates to kind of shed some cap, uh, they're all still here. So everybody <laughs> who, everybody who is saying all three of them were completely wrong. We were saying the same thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I would go the same way. Grizzlick and McAvoy, you got to keep them together. I think uh, even though maybe Grizzlick isn't necessarily a, a, a number one D man on most teams, I think just because he's paired with McAvoy, it works and and you you can see just through the analytics and and you know all the advanced stats that they're a top pair in the league when the, when they're playing together um for the second line i still have lindholm and carlo um that i i feel like the defensive unit's pretty solidified i don't think you can break up that top four it's one of the best defensive units in the league um lindholm could be playing you know first line minutes on most teams but I think the Bruins are best suited kind of splitting him and McAvoy up just to deepen that defensive core that they have. Yeah, I have the same thing. And I also have a bone to pick with CBS Sports because I'm looking at their at the Bruins roster right now on yeah. uh, CBS Sports. And I don't know if the intern got lazy or what, but they have every single player on the Bruins listed as a righty. <laughs> What I was looking, I was like, I was like, oh my god, the Bruins have no left shot defensemen, and I was like, wait, they don't have any left shot left wings. Wait, all their centers are righty. I was like, what the hell is going on? Imagine, imagine if every single player on the team was a righty. Everyone, I don't. Everyone's on their backhand on the left side. I feel like you could, you there's, you could strategize with that somehow, but or if they just gave everybody a straight blade and said, here you go, yeah. do whatever, figure it out. Ambidextrous. Um, yeah, amphibious. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> my second line i also have uh linholm and carlo uh i think that top that top four is pretty locked up until yeah. until lori pops essentially we don't know when that's gonna be yeah. um but that's for for a lot of losses that the bruins had this year offensively um i mean really just offensively uh the the defensive unit is still absolutely freaking loaded i mean that top four is really really good having uh just having mcavoy lindholm and carlo through your top four is is insane as it is dude you could honestly make an argument that the defensive unit you know all you know all, all, all three pairs are better than last year 
obviously you lost Clifton and I, I, that's and a big loss and Orlov too, but I'm talking more like regular season, mm-hmm. you know, like, like prior to the trade deadline. But I mean, if you're talking to Orlov, then the defensive unit definitely got a little bad, a little, bit. <laughs> but, but, um, speaking, like speaking on the majority of the season last year, um, you can't overlook the loss of Connor Clifton. I'm pretty sure, just just going off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure he led this defensive unit in hits. I'm I might mm-hmm. be wrong, but I'm I'm almost certain that he did. So you're gonna be missing that. Um, and and Clifton's no slouch either. He's gonna be great in Buffalo. Um, he's a great he's a great player on that defensive unit. But you add in Shattenkirk and pair him with Forbert. That's a that is one of the best defensive units in the league. And obviously the, the offensive depth is nowhere near what it was last year. Obviously with the loss of Bergeron, with the loss of Krejci, with the loss of Hall, with the loss of Bertuzzi, you're not, you're not getting better offensively, but your defensive unit is still solid. It's still, I would argue top eight in the league. And they're going to rely heavily on them to lock down the defensive end and really hold on to leads. Yeah, I mean, the Bruins last year were in a position where they, they, I mean, you could argue they had three top, they had three top pairing defensemen and they had five top four defensemen. I mean, after they got Orlov, it was like, holy shit, this is, this is a ridiculous defensive unit that they have here. But um, I, I think, to start the season, you might be right uh, in having that third pairing being Shattenkirk and Forbert, which also would like be the the slowest pairing. I, <laughs> I like it would be Never. like they're at public skate, like you're looking for the skate guard with the yellow vest on. Holy <laughs> shit, dude, that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Um, but the Bruins also have a mix of guys that they like. I. I, I I feel fairly confident that Shattenkirk is going to see a significant amount of games this year. Um, I I think what could hurt him is if they want to include like um, Ian Mitchell. I know he had like 30, I think he played like 35 games in Chicago last year. Uh, He's a right-handed shot. He, you know, he could slide in a couple games and take some, take some starts away from Shattenkirk. But um, also with forward too, I mean, we don't know when we're going to see Lorai and you know, when Lorai comes into the lineup forward, See you later, boss. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know when that's going to be. And, uh, you know, I, I still don't think that – I don't think they're going to hit, like, the 20-game mark or whatever it might be, and Lorai comes in. And, like, when Lorai comes into the Bruins' locker room and he gets his first NHL start, do you see him taking that that spot for the rest of the year? Or do you see him continuing to come in and out of the lineup with – whether it be forward, whoever else, because I know like last year, a lot of people, and especially during the off season, a lot of people have been saying that Laura, just, he isn't ready yet. And especially during the off season, when people have been penciling him into the top six to start the season, you've had a lot of people giving significant pushback saying he's not ready yet. He could use more time in Providence to develop. So I want to see Laura. I want to enjoy the experience, but I also recognize defensemen usually take a little longer to progress than other positions do. So I would just be a little weary of that, but I want to know what you think. It's kind of similar with Fabian Lysel, right? Because we didn't mention him in the, uh, in our, in our forward group, but say Lysel lights it up in the preseason. Do you, 
do you push Lauko down to the fourth line for you know an AJ Gurus spot and put Lysel with Geeky and say JVR or Frederick? Because I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that either. But with Lorai, I think it's going to depend on on the preseason and what he shows prior to the beginning of the season actually starting. Now I think that the Bruins are going to want to start him in Providence regardless. But if he shows you that he's dominant and he he looks like he's ready in the preseason, I don't really see why you wouldn't give him a chance in the beginning. Um, I don't know. I Because I, I'm with you. I think he does need games in Providence just to see what the game is like, see what the mm-hmm. system is like, and really get adjusted to, to Bruins hockey instead of Buckeyes hockey and <laughs> Division One college hockey. Where they but, lost the Quinnipiac on their way to winning yeah, the national championship. Yeah, yeah, shout out. Um, <laughs> Bobcats. But, um, <laughs> but I don't know. It would be fun. I mean, especially if if this is really going to be kind of a transition year, like there's, you know, there's people saying that they expect that, you know, to be this season. I don't see why not. But... I don't honestly, know. I, it would be fun. It would be fun. You, you know, honestly, you know what I think helps Lorai a lot too is is the the Bruins' defensive core right now is so strong. They yeah. have so. I mean, they have eight guys who could play NHL minutes, and I think that that benefits Lorai because the Bruins don't have to rush him. I mean, he can right. take his time in Providence and come up when he's ready. You know, it's not like Anaheim when they were throwing whatever his name out there, like at like Dry, nineteen. Drysdale. Yeah, when he's out there playing with like Hampus Lindholm, and it's he's like statistically the worst defenseman in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, he's not that guy. Well, Anaheim's like screw it, let's sell some tickets. Like they're just throwing whoever <laughs> out there. And what's good for Lorai is that the Bruins aren't in that in, aren't in that position. So he, he he's yeah. he's gonna come up when he's ready, and I'm sure of that. It's just I'm excited to see him and I want to see him play. But I do want to ask because he was one of the only names that we didn't mention. What do you think about? Zaboral, like what's the future of Zaboral in in Boston? Because he's he's hitting age twenty six. The Bruins just traded. They brought in a couple young defensemen in Regula, Ian Mitchell. Uh, how old is Riley Walsh? Is he young as well? He's twenty four as well. I mean, yeah, the Bruins yeah. <laughs> just brought in three defensemen who are all younger than Zaboral. I mean, <laughs> what what does that say for his future in terms of playing minutes in Boston? I don't know, man. I, I, I he is such like a and I hate to say this, but in my mind, he's just an extra defenseman. He's an afterthought. And I hate saying that because he's a, he's a good player. But we were just talking about it. Look at this defensive unit. Who are you going to sit for Zaboro? Grizzlick? No. Maybe. No. <laughs> Lindholm? Absolutely not. Forbert? I guess you can make an argument, but like... I still think Forbert's better than Zaboral. Yeah, you could you could see him potentially be packaged in a trade. I think. Um, I I don't know, man. I I it's make or break this year for Zaboral. I don't. I, if, if he doesn't do anything this year, I think he's he's done. I think that the Bruins should entertain making him a forward, so they can reinstate the check line. They can, you know, him. Oh my God! A line of Zaboro, Zaka, and and Lauko or Pasta. Ooh. Oh my! He'd be skating backwards going into, the, into, the, into the offensive <laughs> zone. Like, like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, no, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know how to skate forward. But um, the Bruins—they do have some significant depth at defense, and 
And I think it, it goes hand in hand too with Olmark and Swayman. I think the two of them benefit tremendously from how deep and how good this defensive unit is. And I think that the defensemen also benefit knowing that they that they trust their goaltender behind them, whether it be they can jump up and make pinches or plays or make maybe make that pass you shouldn't make and hope it gets through. I mean, all of this stuff goes hand in hand with one another. And um you know, that's why, like, like there's been a lot of expectations about the Bruins this year. Obviously, they're not going to have 135 points. Obviously, they're not going to have 65 right. wins. But right. you just said you still think that they have a top eight defensive core in hockey. They're still an elite defensive team. They still have the, the reigning Vesna winner, the Jennings Trophy pairing. I mean, they still have arguably the best goalie tandem in the NHL. They're going to be good. It's just they're not going to look like how they did last year. And I know they also mentioned this on Only Bruins. I think Marty, the meat man, actually said it on Only Bruins, is that it's it's something else to look forward to this year that, that we haven't experienced. I mean, every year it's been do everything for Bergeron, do everything for Krejci, for Marshawn, right. like like sell all the assets, sell high and, and get them as much help as you possibly can because that window is closing. And now that window with them is closed. It's done. Like, like that in a, in a, in a way, I feel like it's almost like, okay, like you can take the pressure off your back. You don't have to squeeze. Everything is, you know, push all the chips to next season, to next season. Like, it feels like now, like these players are talking about like Lysel, like we're talking about Laura. I mean, Frederick, all of these young defensemen, these young forwards, I mean, none of them are blue chip prospects, albeit, but like, they're going to have an opportunity to play and we're going to get a chance to see the the future of Bruins hockey, which I feel like, you know, it's almost felt like every preseason the last, however many years, if a guy pops off in preseason, who's young, you go, Oh my God, who are we going to trade him for? Like, you know, what wing are we going to get to help Bergeron or to help Marshawn? But now we're in, we're in a period where we can see these guys grow and see the players they can become hopefully in Bruins jerseys. And that's why I was saying earlier, shout out Brett is that you're hoping like one of these guys has to hit because this Bruins team will be significantly better if one of them does. And I think that's what you're banking on right now. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be an exciting season, dude. And it's weird because it really is a, it's a new era. You don't have Bergeron. You don't have Krejci. You don't have these solidified guys that you've seen part of the core for the past decade plus in trying to win a cup for them. It's, 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 a whole new mentality coming into the year. You're watching these young guys being led by now Brad Marchand, Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak. That's your new core. There's no more Bergeron. There's no, there's no more of that 2011 Stanley Cup team outside of Mila Lucic. But, <laughs> but I mean, you're you're now going to be watching the season banking on these young guys to make these jumps and it's exciting it's it's i don't think you need to be scared i think you should have anticipation coming into this year to see what these young guys can prove and what they can bring to this team to help it succeed even further in the future but with that being said and actually it's a good segue too who are your x-factor players coming into the year who needs to have a strong season in order for this team to see continued success i think immediately the first one that came to my head is, is zaka uh mm-hmm. if he whether it be 1c or 2c minutes um you're gonna need production from guys who maybe didn't have to produce last year and zaka albeit i don't mean to say he didn't produce he, he played fantastic last year career year but i want to see him take another step Um, I mean, 20, I think 21 goals last year, 55 points are ridiculous numbers to put up uh, playing 
primarily third line minutes. And I know last year we were heavy on DeBrus to see what he can do with first line minutes with a big opportunity. And this year I, I feel like that's going to be Zaka. And I really feel like he's going to answer the bell. I think he's going to step up. And I know Brett talks about the Minnesota Wild as a great example of you don't necessarily need superstars at center. You just need the right players. You need the players who are going to you know feed the wings, make the right plays, win faceoffs. And I think Zaka can be that guy. And I think he can also produce uh, offensively as well as putting up numbers. Um, and I want to see him improve his defense as well. I mean, his game isn't perfect, but 26 years old, former sixth overall pick, the Bruins gave up pretty much nothing to get him, and they just signed him for four more years. Like, come on, like, let's see what you can do. And I think if he's playing first line center minutes, I'll say it again with the brusque and Marshawn, I, I really feel like he can hit that 70 point mark. So for me, he's the biggest X factor. So obviously, like you said, Zaka had 57 points last year. What, is your point prediction for him this year? He had 21 goals. Am I right? 21 goals, 57 points. If he's playing first line center minutes, if he's getting, you know, 18 plus minutes a night, whatever it is with DeBrusque or pasta in Marchant, I see him. I could see, I could honestly, I could see 25 goals and 72 points. Okay. That would, that, that would be great. That would be great. And I think that's in the realm of possibility. And like, like what did, just for shits and giggles, what did Bergeron have last year in terms of his, I know he had, I think he had, he was like a, a piss away from 30 goals. Um, Bergeron last year. <clears throat> 27 goals and 58 points. Yep. Yep. So boom. I mean, he had one more point than Zaka. Yeah. Uh, wow. I thought Bergeron had more points than that. 27 goals, though, from Bergeron at age 37 playing first yeah. line center minutes is ridiculous. Yeah. But Bergeron, too, his game, not to get off topic here, but after he hit age 30, he like all of a sudden started becoming a goal scorer. Like the guy yeah. never had a 30 goal scoring season until he hit 30. And then, like, three of the next six seasons, he hit 30 plus goals. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I think, I think Zaka, I think he has more of an offensive game. Uh, and and I just feel like he's ready to take another jump, and I think he's going to be put in the perfect position to do so. So okay, so that's your forward X factor. Who's your defensive X factor? Brandon Carlo. Yep. Yep. Brandon Carlo, baby. I know. I think we've we've done a similar exercise before, and I said Brandon Carlo, but um, McAvoy, you know, you have. He's a yep. top five defenseman in the NHL. Uh, he's basically a perennial Norris candidate. Uh, Hampus Lindholm, uh, it seems like the biggest thing for him is is staying healthy. Not that he's had huge injury concerns, but you saw in the playoffs when he was hurt how his game dramatically fell off. But for the first like 50 games of the season there, he was a legitimate Norris candidate. And when the season ended after game 82, the analytics, I believe, had him as, as the second second favorite to win the Norris. I mean, he wasn't on anybody's ballot because he doesn't, you know, score a thousand goals or put up a hundred whatever points like Eric Carlson does, but he's an incredible defenseman in his own zone. Uh, he controls the play. Uh, I think, you know what you're going to get with Hampus Lindholm. Uh, Matt Grizzlick. I mean, I, I don't really, I mean, I, I was just 
pumping his, I was just, you know, pumping his tires or whatever the freaking saying is. I mean, I, I love Matt Grizzly, and I think he works really well playing with uh, Charlie McAvoy, but I mean, I, nobody expects him to take another step in his game. But Brandon Carlo, uh, he's he's a legitimate top four solidified defenseman. He is elite in the defensive zone. He has uh, flashes of offensive game as well. The biggest thing for him is what I just said about Hampus Lindholm. He has to stay healthy. He he can't have another concussion. He can't go through injury concerns. It seems like every year, part of the Bruins fandom turns on him and says that he sucks, that he should be traded or whatever it is. But Brandon Carlo is a legitimate top four defenseman. Uh, he's a star in this system. He's only 26 years old. Uh, and, and he's a guy who I can see taking another step in his game as well offensively. Um, again, he's great defensively. He doesn't put up the most ridiculous offensive numbers. But if he can play a full 82 games or or I don't know how many games he played last year, if he can get to 75, um, I think he can be a real X factor on defense. Yeah, I think so. For, for me personally, I think the X factor in the forward group is probably Jake DeBrusque. Um, you, like you said, you know, you're going to get with pasta. You know, he's going to be an offensive monster. Zaka's a great pick, but, but I want to be different from you. Zaka's definitely an X factor for sure. Especially if he's going to be playing first line minutes. But if you want offensive depth and you want contributions from, from more than one line, I think Jake DeBrusque is going to have to step up. He's going to have to get more than 50 points next year. He's going to have to put in at least 75 games. Um, he needs to stay healthy for the most of the year and he needs to produce. Um, he's gonna and him producing is gonna is gonna pick up other guys as well. It's gonna make Frederick play better. It's gonna make JVR play better. It's he's gonna make you know Coil play better. You you need that offensive depth, and I think that's what um, the Bruins are hoping to get out of Jake DeBrusque. But defensively, for the sake of being different. Because I wanted to say Carlo as well, but I'm going to say Hampus Lindholm. I think obviously with McAvoy being your top pairing defenseman and splitting up McAvoy and Lindholm, you're banking on Lindholm to anchor that second pairing with Carlo. And obviously Carlo is not an offensive guy. Carlo is going to hold down the defensive end all day, all night. And, and, and you don't have to worry about that. But with Lindholm, you can bank on a little more offense out of him. I mean, he had 53 points last year. Um, I remember, I think it was like a, a, a month stretch where he was just on fire. Oh my um, God. The game against the Penguins when he went yes. end to end and oh, yeah, we coast to coast in overtime. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you can get an even better season out of him than last year, then you're gonna be set. You're you're in a very very good position. I was also I, I want to apologize to Brendan Carlo because I was just looking and I said I wanted to see him play at least seventy five games. He played seventy five exactly last year, <laughs> so I'll give him that. But I was looking and and I know you were just mentioning point production from uh, from Hampus Lindholm. How many points did you say Lindholm had this year? Fifty three, which is ridiculous because compare that to uh, Carlo for all the games he plays. Carlo's career high is nineteen points. Yeah, then that just shows like he def- he is a More defensive offense. defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. But um, I wanted to bring this up too. So obviously, I think everybody knows at this point that ESPN's hockey coverage is just an absolute oh, joke. Shit, it's a joke. It's a joke. They have Brad Marchand's um, expected point total. What? What? You clearly you haven't seen this yet. What do you think ESPN has Marshawn's point total projected at? 
well, knowing ESPN, a full 82 games of Brad Marshawn, these idiots probably sit in their little desks and they probably think he's going to get 63 points because it's his number. <laughs> Mel. What? Mel, are you sitting? Yes. Are you sitting down? I am. You can see me. My camera's on. Are you in a, are you in a safe space? Hang on. Yeah. They have him projected at 46 points. You know, how do these guys have the rights to stream NHL games? They, they shouldn't, dude. And who who even writes? Do they have a, a written essay explaining their reasoning as to why they would think that Marshawn went on eclipse 50 points? I will tell you in when just is, a second. When is the last time that Brad Marshawn ended a season with a four at the beginning of his point total? Um, I don't think ever, to be honest. Last year he had 67. He had 42 points when he was 26 years old, followed by 61. And then after that, he continuously got 80-plus points. They're smoking crack over there in ESPN, man. They, they got are. something in the water in Bristol. They do, dude. It's, it's ridiculous. Imagine thinking that he's going to fall off that bad. Imagine thinking – imagine posting that, publishing it for everybody to see. Uh, like, uh, which is ridiculous because I can only imagine their reasoning is, oh, he's old and he has, he just, he was hurt last year. He had hip surgery. Meanwhile, he just played 73 games and put up 67 points last year. Honestly, right. I, 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 I would not be surprised if the reasoning was because Bergeron was gone, which is funny because a lot of people say that Bergeron's production comes from playing next to Marshawn. So now right. look at tables have turned. Now it's the other way around. Uh, dude. But it just goes to show that ESPN, dude, man, their hockey coverage, when you listen to their games, it is so bad. I know we had an episode like months ago talking about how th- the live version of their games with all of the graphics they have going on, they don't pronounce players' names right. On the power play, for whatever reason, they have to have a little arrow with like names over every single player on the ice. ESPN, were they not the ones, too, who introduced that stupid puck trail that would follow the puck around? Like, I think so. What are you doing? <laughs> it's like they people just want to sit down, put the TV on, and watch hockey. Like yes. we don't need all of this extra crap. And it's just it's ESPN. They just they don't know how to read the room, and their hockey now is terrible. And mind you, it would be different if they actually knew what they were talking about. Like if you know what you're talking about, and you can add that you know knowledge and depth into the commentary added with those graphics you can you can kind of kick the graphics to the side and say fine that's okay at least you know what you're talking about but they suck they literally don't know what they're talking about they have no idea every night i always think about like every night before i fall asleep the last thing on my mind are those old nbc streams man with doc emrick and just how how perfect that was it's the stanley cup finals and you hear that it's doc emrick like it would show like like a a, a cam a wide camera shot of the host city if it's in boston it's showing the zakem bridge in 2011 and it's doc emrick oh we're here where the country was founded where paul revere ran up and down this and he's doing this whole <laughs> and it's like you go from that so now you listen to like I don't even know the guy's name from me. Does what's his name? Is it um 
It's like Chevy Chase. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Chevy Chase. You've been but... listening to freaking Jay Leno in the booth calling yeah. names. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember um, his name, but it kind of looks like Jay Leno. Um, but no, they, 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 they like. It drives me crazy. NBC did a great job when they had hockey. Even um, remember versus. Yes, versus was channel good. channel sixty five. I think that's team. Steve, oh, not, it's Steve Levy, Steve Levy, or whatever. Oh yeah, no, I, I, dude, I can't listen to him. He he. They like, ride him like a rented. Me. They ride him like a rented mule. Like he, yeah. I don't know who he told in ESPN that he knows hockey, but he's the only person that they put on their boot. Like they should. I would listen to John Butchergrass call an NHL game before I listen to Steve Levy. Yeah, it drives me insane. I don't even know, like who who would you want in the booth from ESPN calling hockey games? Doc Jack Edwards. Edwards? Yes. <laughs> Prime Jack Edwards. Um, oh, honestly, for ESPN, I don't like PK on the broadcast, and I, 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 the only reason I don't like him is because I think he tries too hard. I think yes. he, yeah, he tries way too hard to bring too much personality, and you can tell that he's just going overboard. And it's like, okay, dude, like, come on. I, I think he tries too hard to be Biz, to be honest. I, I for, uh, 100%. He, he tries to be ESPN's per- version of Paul Bissonnette, and there's only one Biz. And even Biz, I think, overdoes it sometimes. Like, during the yeah. NHL awards, like, there were there were times I was squirming in my seat because I was like, oh, my, the secondhand embarrassment was ridiculous. Like, he was yeah. trying to uh, the whole shit with Connor McDavid. Do you remember that? I think we talked about that on, on one of yes. the Yes, yes. Where he, 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 he told Connor McDavid, and it, for all I know, Connor McDavid could be a fantastic actor, but he looked so uncomfortable, which is not out of the ordinary for Connor McDavid because what was going to say ever looks knows. comfortable. We all remember the picture <laughs> of him in the airport with that family. Oh, but Biz, was, Biz was trying. <laughs> Biz was trying so hard to get McDavid to to say like thank you to my hot tub or whatever because mcdavid has this huge hot tub in his house that was on that episode when they were going through whatever and and paul bisonette always made it a joke that that connor mcdavid's production and he's only as good of a player as he is because he has this godly hot tub in his house and as soon as they sat down on a live stage in front of hundreds of people or maybe thousands of people on national TV with tens of thousands of eyes on you. There you go. He was trying to get McDavid to, to thank his hot tub and McDavid looked so uncomfortable. And I was like, Oh my God. But no, there's definitely better people they can have in the booth than, than Steve Levy. I do like Chris Chelios in the booth. I think he's pretty good for ESPN. Um, yeah. I like when they, they do the, the round table with like Patrick Sharp. And, yeah. That's cool. Uh, is he on, is that ESPN though? Uh, I think I think he's with Brian Boucher. I know Boucher does a little bit. Um, what's his name? He used to play for the Rangers. Uh, Ryan Callahan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what's Mark cool? Messier. Mark Messier. Honestly, and this might be a little bit of a hot take. I don't like him that much in the he, in, on the broadcast team. He looks like the alien from the movie Alien. His, he used to <laughs> scare me when I was a kid. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Messier. And his helmets are so freaking ugly. Yeah, um, dude. But I, TNT does, TNT does everything right, first of all. The, the 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 basketball crew they have with Ernie Johnson, Kenny, Shaq, and Charles Barkley has won like 100,000 Emmys. They're amazing. And they're, they're basically trying to recreate it with the NHL. And, and honestly, it's working. Like with Biz Gretzky, uh, sometimes they have Lundquist, sometimes they have Patrick Sharp. When they did that thing... With it, it was Biz Gretzky, uh, 
Lundquist and Sarah Nurse. I think it was Sarah yeah. Nurse. Yeah. Uh, when they were when they were basically doing like like they were taking the perspective of Sarah Nurse as a shooter and Henrik Lundquist as a goalie and kind of how and first Sarah Nurse kind of went through her whole thought process when she's on a breakaway or a shootout on the way that she would would play it and then Henrik Lundqvist who's one of the greatest goalies ever was talking about how he would do it and how he would have like attacked the puck and as an as a hockey fan it was it was incredible like that kind of insight i was like this is amazing like this is the coolest thing that this is cracking jokes and like that's who it should be and then like when you listen to espn calling games and it's steve levy and and i hate to keep shitting on him but i don't even remember who's in the booth with him it just it just doesn't sound right like yeah. the old like like eddie olchek uh doc emmerich even we would make fun of him but when he would send down to pierre between the glass like that was hockey man like i miss yes. listening to those guys talk about hockey and now we get like the poor man's version of him and dude, as much as everybody hated on Pierre, and I know he's a freaking creep and he's weird, but like <laughs> the amount of hockey knowledge that he had, just like off the top of his head, when you, whenever they would send it down to him, you knew you were going to get something. And at least oh, they yeah. had like genuine personality and they actually brought hockey knowledge and bringing you some things that you didn't know before into the broadcast ESPN. I feel like is just winging it and they, they like, they legitimately, I don't, I don't think that they have a plan going into the game. Like I really don't. I don't, I, I just, I don't think that ESPN knows their product. I don't think they know what they have. Like I, like the, the way that I the- feel like, so I, I feel like they take, the NHL is a joke. Like, I don't think that they take the sport seriously as a whole, but I'm, I just had to say that, but continue. Well, I mean, ESPN has more money than God, so they can, they can buy what they want. They can do what they want to do. And like the way that the NBA and the NFL are covered is, is so different. Like in terms of sideline reporters, uh, play-by-play broadcasting, just like the feel of the production is so different. And that's not even talk about MLB. I mean, all three of them feel so different when you listen, when you watch a game. And I feel like ESPN bought the NHL and they, and they went, well, like, let's, let's bring a a production, like an NFL production to the NHL and, and treat it like it was one of those games. And it just, it just doesn't translate well like just like the in-game commentary doesn't make any sense all of the graphics all over the screen doesn't make sense and even like their their stat their status their statistician people are freaking clueless i remember they were they were showing a graphic about the seattle kraken and they were like oh like the seattle kraken although they're a new team they have four players on the roster who have won a stanley cup before and they showed the four players and then somebody was like well actually they have like nine you didn't even yeah. mention these other guys like you you literally cut the number in half and it's just like like that's such an how do you miss that like it's it's just shit like that and like as as a hockey fan like when you would watch it on nbc it was it was perfect like the coverage was amazing that Catherine tappan was great everything it was like that's how hockey should be covered and when you watch it on espn it just feels like like every every time you watch a game it's a different production feel i feel like i feel like they're trying to to produce the game like you're watching a baseball game or it's just blah 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 blah, like nonstop talking and then you watch it like it's an edit like oh next time they're gonna try an nfl style broadcast and it's just animation animation here's a graphic here's a graphic we're gonna put the this guy's name over his head despite you you that's Connor mcdavid in case you didn't know we're gonna put his name and 
big blue letters across the screen for you. It's like, what are you doing? Like, well, and it's just, it's just like it, 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 that's not the way that hockey should be covered. And I think that's part of the reason why it sucks so much. And it's funny because I, I remember it was ESPN was broadcasting a Blackhawks Capitals game, and it was they were they were obviously focused on Ovechkin chasing the record, right? And it was his 798th goal, but ESPN for the whole hockey world to see, instead of broadcasting the game, they cut to the studio for Chris Chelios to introduce the Blackhawks lineup. And so there was no commentary on the game. Ovechkin scores 798 and there's no commentary. And the only thing that you see on the screen is Chris Chelios introducing the Chicago Blackhawks lineup. And then they cut back to the to the game and the Caps are celebrating. Ovi scores 798. And everyone's like, what the <laughs> like what just happened? And then they had to show replay and go through it and be like, oh yeah, Ovi just scored 798. Like, haha, sorry we missed it, but here's the shitty Blackhawks lineup. Like that's that's the, that's the perfect representation of the way that ESPN treats treats hockey games. I remember too, um, I think uh, yeah, it was last year. It would be like these huge games, like it would be like Edmonton and Winnipeg or something, or, or like Boston and Tampa. And in and the a huge box at the bottom of the screen is the freaking every time Aaron Judge is batting, they would put it on the screen because he's about to hit his sixty first. I don't give a shit, man. If I wanted to yes. watch that, I'd put the Yankees game on. Why right. would I want it? Why would I want that taking up all this space on my screen? See, I'm trying to watch and, a hockey game, and that's what I mean by the, by ESPN just as a network not taking hockey seriously. Like, guess what? If I wanted to watch Aaron Judge go for a fucking a ding dong, I'd fucking throw an MLB network. I, I'm watching the hockey game because I want to watch the hockey game. I don't give a single flying fuck about Aaron Judge. Okay, Even I don't care. You, when you put on when you put on Sports Center. The only time you'll see a hockey highlight is, God forbid, somebody gets like the most insane goal you ever see, and then they'll put them at number ten on the top ten plays of the week or something like that. And even yeah. when they're discussing like the highlights from last night, they'll spend ten minutes on a Lakers game. They'll spend fifteen minutes talking about the Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys. They'll have a whole segment about it, but they could have you know, the Bruins play the Canadians, and it's a, a thirty-second clip of the game-winning goal, and then they just yeah. go right into the next topic, and it's a joke. And people complain about, you know, the NHL, how now that Messi's in the MLS, the NHL is slipping to number five in terms of popularity. Well, their rights are owned by ESPN. They're the ones who can actually do something about this and give right. it more traction on their programs. They can put it in primetime spots or get a, get a better crew to call the games or give it more publicity on SportsCenter, which is a weekday, every morning show. You have 10, sh 12 shows that run throughout the course of the day on two different channels. So you have 20 shows and you, you're telling me they don't have a single show devoted to just hockey. Right. And they, and they wonder why they can't grow the game. And also part of that is shame on Gary Bettman. Like you, you got to have some sort of insight to know that if you're going to give, if, if you're going to allow ESPN to purchase the rights to streaming these games, they're going to treat it like shit because why, why wouldn't they? I mean, it, right. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. And that's why like a lot of this comes back to it. It feels like it's so easy to grow the game and everybody has a thousand good reasons or a thousand good ways to do it. I want shout out Zach to one of our earlier episodes. They could do uh, uh, an original six night or something. Yes. And they oh, could have yes. just the, that day. There, there's only three games that day. And it's an original six team against an original six team. They could have a whole production. They could have a whole thing devote. They could wear special jerseys. Everything. You're telling me that people wouldn't watch that. And that's right. such like a. 
it's such like a no-brainer thing to do it's like the so NHL, easy all the nhl does is talk about the history of the league the oldest trophy in sports we got guys who won the cup in 1902 whose names are on the inside go look they're on the inside of the cup and you have they celebrate the original six teams like no other but they can't do anything special to, to celebrate them like that should be a yearly thing that would be but, amazing and and not only that but why not have like a once a month or maybe once every two months to have like a strictly like a rivalry night or a rivalry three nights where you got like Bruins Habs, Rangers Devils, um, throw out freaking Philly Pittsburgh, um, Florida Tampa, uh, Vegas LA, Dallas, and freaking I don't know who's Dallas's rivals. I don't know. You have a yeah, yeah. Throw out a throw out a rivalry night. I mean, Seattle, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. Throw out a rivalry night where you have like three or four games slotted. Nobody else is playing, and you just have back to back to back games of just strict rivalries. Yeah, and and even like I, I understand the the difference in in time zone can be a problem. First of all, yeah. blackouts are stupid. Make no yep. sense. How are you going to grow the game if you're not going to let your fans watch the games? But if if they could if they could do something <clears throat> between game starts where they can have maybe games on the East Coast every now and then a Bruins and Canadians game instead of starting at eight, although I would hate it could start at like nine thirty, so people on the West Coast could be able to get home from work and watch it. And these Seattle Kraken and Las Vegas Golden Knights games instead of starting at ten p.m. for us Eastern folks can start at seven thirty. That way we could watch more of the league. Like there's so many easy things that they could do that it's just like it like it doesn't make any sense while they're not doing some of this stuff. Like the, the idea you just mentioned should be a no-brainer. The original right. six thing, like the MLB, the MLB does the 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 Field of Dreams game, which is yeah. amazing. It is so cool. The game that they had a couple years ago when it was the White Sox playing, uh, it might have been was the that, Yankees actually. It was the I, wait, it was the Yankees? Or was I the think Yankees. it was the Yankees. That was like one of the best baseball games I had ever seen. It was so cool. There was like no fans there. They were playing in a cornfield. That was amazing, and a bunch of people watched it. And then you're t- you're telling me that when the NHL does the Winter Classic. Like they don't start airing commercials about it until like two days before. Right. Like there's there's like no marketing behind anything. And it's it's like it's ridiculous. Like, how can you expect to grow the game and you just paid all this money for this product and you're just treating it like trash? And they wonder why, like hockey fans, like we say your programs suck. It's because you, you don't care about the hockey fan. The hockey fan is gonna care about you. Right. And that's why they always get shit on by, by, you know, people like us, like we were doing right now. It's because you click, like they don't even try to hide it. Like they, they bought the rights. They don't show any highlights. They don't highlight any players and they just, they treat it like it's just kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. And, and another thing we've talked about before too, they, they literally have no hockey analyst, none, not none. one. The, 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 the face of ESPN, the, the, the biggest investment that ESPN has probably ever made is in Stephen A. Smith. The money they give him, they, he's the face of that company. They put him on every program. They work that man to the grave. And this dude has straight up said on multiple occasions, I am not talking hockey in my show because I don't know shit about it. And that's your that's your biggest personality, just outright refusing to acknowledge one of one of your company's main products in the NHL. It doesn't make any sense. And there was that one time that he compared the Toronto Maple Leafs to the Dallas Cowboys and it went viral. It went oh, all yeah. over the internet. And it was the one time he did it. 
And it's just like it's it sucks to see because I don't think that there's been a better time in recent history for the NHL for the game to be marketed right now. You got superstars in in Austin Matthews, Jack Hughes, Connor McDavid. Now you got Connor Bedard coming up. You got David Posternock. You got superstar goalies in Shesterkin, Ottinger, Vasilevsky. You got dynasties, most recently Tampa Bay, um, Colorado. You got Kale McCarr. There's these guys now that are at least, I, I don't want to say necessarily household names, but more household than what they were, say, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and even the parody around the league, too. I mean, yeah. we enter every season. I don't know who's going to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, last year, I mean, obviously, for every reason in the book, we thought the Bruins were going to win. They lost in the first round. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you have teams like the Las Vegas Golden Knights who have been a team for all of six years, and they're Stanley Cup champions. You have, a, And they went to the Stanley Cup in their first year as a franchise. You have, you Seattle, have Seattle, who was yeah. a dumpster fire last year. And this year, they were, they were making – they almost made it to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, they were doing shit this year. And, like, it's the perfect time to be a hockey fan. There's these two new teams and these two brand-new markets, and we can't even watch their games on the East Coast. I right. mean, what, what sense does that make, you know? It makes no sense. Blackouts are the dumbest thing that I have ever, ever, like, witnessed. It's so stupid. If I'm, in, if I'm at home in Massachusetts and I want to watch, say – say the sabers i can't because it's blacked out because i'm in the region and it's like it's like come on like i pay for espn plus i i should be able to watch any game i want it's a streaming service i pay the money like let me watch hockey that's it's really yeah. not that big of a an ask and my biggest gripe too is is we've been talking a lot about espn but gary bettman man he he also sucks in like yeah. every way that he could possibly suck um Oh, God damn it. I was about to say something that I don't remember what I was going to say about Gary Bettman. But obviously, you can talk about not allowing your NHL players to go to the Olympics. I mean, what the hell is that? Every other league, yeah. NBA lets their play. I know the Olympics, the uh, basketball is in the Summer Olympics, but their players can go. There are, there's no football in the Olympics, and baseball is a World Baseball Classic. But their players go. We just saw Edwin Diaz of the Mets get hurt in the World Baseball Classic, and it sucks for the Mets, but these players still want to go. I mean, if you had, Team USA is finally good. If you had Team USA, these athletes playing, what they did a couple years ago when they had uh, the uh, Team North America and the World Hockey Classic, like there's so many easy ways to grow the game. And there's like a million things that Gary Bettman can do that he's just outright not doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Fuck ESPN. Damn it, I had but, something I was going to say about Gary Bettman I don't remember. That he sucks? Yeah, but I had it. I was able to cook this fool. I don't remember what it was, though. <laughs> well, if it comes back to you, mention it. But let's jump into the uh, DMs right now. So it's a two part question. I'll read the first part first and we'll answer that. And then we'll jump into the second. But um, this comes in from our guy, Ethan 2.0. You can follow him on Twitter at Incredible Mr. E7. He said, Who in Providence would you like to see have a good year? Personally, he'd like to see J.D. Greenway find his footing and blossom. Um, he thinks he has the potential to be a solid player if he can put it all together. For me, I think outside of the obvious, um, Fabian Lysel and, and Mason Lari, I want to see Georgi Merkulov pop off. He's 22 years old at the time right now. Center, He's mainly a center, but he can play wing. 
Um, last year in Providence, he put up 55 points in 67 games. Um, I I want him to pop off, dude. I am so I I want to see him have a phenomenal year because I don't want to say this year, but next year he could be a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, oh, I'm still so mad. I can't remember. I was gonna say look here, Batman. It was gonna be good too, <laughs> but I want to see what um, what John Beecher can do. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, pick. he's he's a guy who was a first round draft pick like four years ago. He's 22, turning 23, and he's yet to play his first career game in the NHL. I think that, um, you know, I mean, I know that they just acquired Bokvist, but I, I, I felt like before they acquired him, it, this was his opportunity to seize uh, a spot in the roster in that fourth line center position. And I don't know if he didn't impress or what, but they went and they found a replacement for him. So I want to see what John Beecher can do. Um, I want to see him get an opportunity. He's been in the system long enough. I think his time is starting to come. Um, and if he can perform well in Providence this year, I mean, last year he didn't – I mean, he had 38 points in 61 games. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at penalty minutes. He had 38 penalty <laughs> minutes in 61 games. He had 23 points in 61 games, nine goals. I mean, as a, as a former first-round pick out of the University of Michigan, I mean, I think you would hope to see a little more than that. Um, I know that his game has grown. I know you've been saying that he looks great in the uh, – I think it was you saying it in the face-off dot. He looks physical in the corners. He's he's growing into his frame. He's a big dog. I mean, 6'3", 215. Um, but you just need to see more production from him. And I don't know, like, what his line is going to be like in Providence. I mean, if he has Merkulov on one side and – Lysel on the other. I don't know what the hell is going to be, but I mean, I he could put up points in a, in a system like that. So, um, yeah. in, in a year where I think you could see some guys coming in and out of the fourth line um, on the on the Bruins on the big club, I don't think it's it's far fetched to maybe see Beecher get his first crack at some NHL minutes this year if they call him up here and there. Um, yeah. But that's all going to start in Providence, and if he stinks it up in Providence and he isn't doesn't look like he's progressing in his game, he's never going to get that shot. Yeah. Um, his second part to the question is, who do you think could be a dark horse target come trade time? Aside from the names mentioned all offseason, like Elias Lindholm and guys like Mark Scheifele. I think, personally, I'm looking at teams who are probably going to be on the outside looking in. I'm looking at a team like St. Louis. How about Braden Shen? Braden Shen, dude. He's six one. He's two hundred pounds. He's a big guy, dude. Last year he put up sixty five points in eighty two. Um, I think he's built to be a Bruin too. He's like he's not a fancy skill guy. He's a bigger body who can play physical. He can play chippy. He can play. I don't want to say dirty, but he can be a grimy type of player. And imagine a line of like Marshawn, Shannon, Pasternak. Fucking oh my god! Get, I need that. What's his uh, what's his contract like? Braden Shen's contract. I believe he has one more year, or this might be his final year on the contract. Um, I'll tell you in a second. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Whenever you're thinking, you always do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's my it's my thinking noise. Um. Oh, shoot. Okay, Braden Shannon is actually signed through the 2028 season. Um, this year he's making a uh, – oh, no, I'm sorry. His AAV is 6.5. So 6.5 through 2028. Um, with the salary cap going up, he's 32 years old right now. I would I would love him on the Bruins. I really, really would. You know, I'm looking at Braden Shen. I'm looking at Braden Shen E2.0. That's who I'm looking at. You know who I'm looking at? 
Who? I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to start dropping clues. I'm going to okay. see if you can get some. He, he, he signed a big extension with his team. He's making okay. eight and a half per. He's a center. Okay. He just turned 29. He's a guy who was on the trade bubble a couple years ago until he re-signed with his team. He's never played for anybody else. Former first-round pick, 42 goals two years ago. He's a Swedish center. Plays in the Western Conference, and his team missed the playoffs last year. I don't know what it would cost to get him, but I do know that that figure would look pretty good as a first or second-line <gasps> center in the Bruins for the foreseeable future when we have some cap room. I'm looking <sighs> at Philip Forsberg. Oh! Oh, I don't know. That would be a good. You know what? That would be good. I don't know if that's possible. I don't. I don't think Nashville would want to trade him. I know that he wanted. There was rumblings he could leave before because they didn't know if he was going to resign, and he did. Um, he had 42 goals two years ago. Last year, he had 19. He also only played 50 games. I know he's, it, injuries have been a significant, a significant concern in his game. He's only played. 82 games three times. His next career high is 69, which he had the year he scored 42 goals. 42 goals and 84 points in 69 games is insane, by the way. But um, holy shit, Philip Forsberg, uh, he's not bad defensively, offensively. Um, if he's healthy, I mean, he's he's has the potential to be an absolute freaking supernova. Um, he's 29. He's the right age. I want Philip Forsberg. He's not Elias Lindholm, and he's not uh, Mark Shifley. I haven't heard anybody mention Philip Forsberg in a trade, nor do I think he's going to get traded. But in a perfect world, he does get traded to the Bruins. So that's my guy. Let's do it. I, I like that, dude. Philip Forsberg as a Bruin would be pretty cool. I feel like he'd be pretty comparable to David Krejci, just the, the way that they play. Obviously, Forsberg scores a little bit more, but I feel like they're similar in, say, stature and play style. Um, that would be that would be cool to see Forsberg in a Bruins jersey. Does he still have that freaking banging mustache? I think so. I oh think my so. god! Well, that's all the reason you need him right there to get Philip Forsberg. But <laughs> you see, uh, you see Forsberg coming to the Bruins, and all of a sudden, every every guy in their mid twenties down in the Southie is just rocking the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I I feel like he would be a great Bruin. Like he seems like a good a real good guy. He's well spoken. He's a leader on that Nashville Predators team. He's been there forever. Also, who could remember how big he stepped up for that team when they went to the Cup? What was that, 2015? I believe, I believe when, it was 2015, yeah. When Nashville went crazy. I mean, that was kind of Philip Forsberg's coming out party that year. Um, I think he's a perfect Bruin, and I don't know what it would take. I don't know if it's possible, but I would like to see him one way or another wear the black and gold. Yeah, that's a good one. Hey, shout out to uh, uh, Ethan 2.0 for the question. Um, outside of that, dude, I mean, I think this was good for episode 56. Um, do you want any, you want to add anything? Do you remember what you were going to say about Batman or nah? No, and it's driving me <laughs> crazy. No, it was something real like, oh my God. I, I've already said that he inducted himself into the hall of fame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, to be uh, fair, if I was commissioner, I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> I know, but you know what? At least he didn't do what Rob Manfred did when they were talking about the World Series and and uh, the Astros and how he didn't take it away. And he basically said, "It's just a hunk of metal. Who cares?" Uh, uh, Could you imagine the commissioner of a of a professional sport saying that about his league's respective trophy? If Batman ever um, said that about if Batman ever said that about the cup, I know Canada would riot. I know half of America might 
cause a ruckus. Canada but, would they would form their own league. They would leave oh, the NHL. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like no doubt the in my F- mind. FGBL. They'd be like they'd be like uh they like uh how how the revolution stole, stole the John Brown Bell. They'd <laughs> they'd go down to Vegas and steal the cup and never give it back. Oh, oh my god. Shout out American history. Whatever. Oh um but if I remember gonna, the Gary Bettman thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet it because that's gonna yes. drive. I'm not sleeping tonight. I hope you know that. That's right. I don't need to. I, I can't wait to wake up to a text at two forty-five in the morning, being like, "I remember." Gary Bettman. <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be a voice memo. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll record it and put it on the next episode. But um, outside of that, dude, hey, this was episode fifty-six of the Something's Brewing podcast. As always, brought to you by the one and only Primetime Productions. You can follow them on Twitter at Primetime Prods. You can follow myself on Twitter at underscore Mike Sullivan. I remember. Oh my God, no, remember. I remembered. I remembered. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like I just scratched my brain. I was going to say, and I've mentioned this before, which is why now it's it sounds so stupid. I've talked about it before. But the thing that pissed me off the most about Gary Bettman was during the COVID lockdown season when the NHL was in a bubble and they were hurting for money. Gary Bettman did the one thing he said that he would never, ever, ever, ever do. And he put logos on helmets and on uniforms. Yeah. And he said it was only a temporary thing. He said, listen, the NHL were hurting for money because of COVID. We lost a big chunk of our games. We got to pay to have put this whole show on. It's only going to be one year until we make the money back, maybe two years. And that's it. And guess what? He, he never, he never brought it back and everybody's still wearing logos on their helmets. People now have logos on their jerseys and he, and he freaking lied about it. He said it was a temporary thing to make money back for COVID. They made the money back for COVID and he just thought we'd all forget about it and move on. And, and I didn't, I didn't forget about it. And I still hate the logos on the helmets. And I still think that the logos on the jerseys are so dumb, except for Montreal, Toronto, because it drives me crazy having milk on the jerseys. (laughs) Freaking hilarious. (laughs) I just like, I just thought that that was bullshit that he said that the, the NHL is hurting for money. We're going to put logos on helmets to make up the money. Two years went by, they made the money back, and he just didn't say anything about it. thought that we would all yeah. move on and forget. I thought yeah. that that was stupid. And I'm also a person, I'm a historian, so I hate logos on jerseys. I hate logos yes. on, on baseball jerseys. I hate them on basketball jerseys. I hate them on NHL jerseys. Uh, football, thankfully, they don't put any sponsors on their jerseys. I know their Yankees fans are up in arms because they don't let their players have beards and they can't have hair past their shoulders, but they can put logos on the sleeves of their uniforms. How does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I just, it's the dumbest thing ever. I've always felt like jerseys and uniforms and sports are sacred. Yes. Talking about an original six hockey team or some of the oldest franchises in professional sports like the Cardinals or some of these NA, uh, NBA franchises. And to have them have like uh, Johnson and Johnson or milk or like uh, Bumble <laughs> was a sponsor for, I think the Clippers yeah. Disney is on the Orlando magic jerseys. Like that is so dumb. Like that, I don't know, and maybe um, maybe that's like old man screaming at clouds mentality. But no. I cannot stand ads on professional professional sports league jerseys. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. The only one that I wouldn't have been like the Bruins one isn't bad isn't bad because you don't really notice it too much. But I was really hoping that they would go with Duncan's. Like just, yeah. just because I feel like that would fit so well. But, that's the only one that would have been acceptable. Yeah. Um. But no, I'm with you on that. Even if it does help, you know, the league make more money, it takes away from the authenticity of of the league and and 
you know, just what it means to make it that far, I guess. I just but. feel like it's like it's and I tweeted something about the 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 cover of NHL 24 because Kel McCarr has you can see the sponsor in big letters on the side of his helmet. And I said, great for Kel McCarr. But the real winner here is that company who's sponsoring the Colorado Avalanche because they're getting free promo, putting that on the cover of the NHL 24. Yeah. But like I just think back and like like think back of like the most iconic photos in sports right like you have bobby Orr when he's diving when he just scored the goal or that guy i don't remember his name the 49ers who caught the touchdown in the back of the end zone from joe montana or like like joe namath when he's when he's saying that the the jets are going to win the super bowl or babe ruth calling a shot imagine all those pictures they have a big fat company logo on the front of their jersey like yeah. it's it's so dumb. Or Bobby Orr, man. I know they weren't wearing helmets, but like imagine him diving and he has a helmet on with a bunch of ads all around it. Like it's just yeah. it it drives me crazy. All like, I could think about so when you dumb. said that was was the picture of Bobby Orr like flying through the air and and there's just a massive like DD like yeah <laughs> logo again. On it. That would be the only one that would be acceptable. Dunkin' Donuts or Honeydew, but yeah. the rest of them, <laughs> I think it's so dumb and I yeah. I hate it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But um, anyway, episode 56 of the Something's Brewing podcast, the fuck ESPN episode. Um, and Gary Bettman. And Gary Bettman. Uh, outside of that, thank you all for listening to this week's show. Um, you can follow Primetime Productions on Twitter at Primetime Prods. You can follow myself on Twitter at underscore Mike Sullivan. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Melanson underscore. And you can follow the Something's Brewing show account on Twitter at Bruin something no G at the end. With that being said, thank you all for listening and we will catch you next week. Bye. All right, ready? Really? It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was funny. God damn it!